uh, share a few things. So. Good morning. I'm Beth, Brett's wife. Uh, don't be surprised if you end up calling us Breath, because somehow Brett and Beth just kind of like gets all like muddled together. So that's that's fine. Um, we just want to say it's just been a great weekend here. First of all, Charlottesville is beautiful. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it just you're, you're driving, you see the mountains. We went downtown with Drew and Jenny for dinner into the, um, the what's it, the mall. All these cute little shops and coffee shops and all the things that I just love. So it was just awesome to be here. And we just had such a great time with Drew and Jenny. They're an amazing couple. You guys are so, so blessed to have them. And, you know, they're young, but they're wise. And the thing I loved is how much they love the church. How much they want you all to be close to God, to be close to each other. And... Uh, they're, they're, they're just really, really special. And then we got to spend some time with um, the, I don't know what you're called, the Marriage, marriage with, with Young Kids? I think that's what it is. Yeah, okay. And uh, again, just super encouraging. And it's interesting because I was talking to Jenny and, you know, um, sometimes maybe you feel like, well, we're a small church and so we go through things and people don't understand. And I have to tell you, the things that we were talking about last night, it's the same things that we're talking about in Nova. You know, it's like we all have the same needs. We all have the same uh, wishes for, our, for ourselves and for our children. So just to let you know, we really are all in the fight together, you know. And um, I know that you all are just super special church. So I just want to say thank you. Thanks for letting us come down. It's great to see Amy. Great to see Caitlin. You know, come on, Nova. And I'm, I'm great. Edison, to- too. Edison, sorry, Edison. <laughs> What about Christian? You're going to forget somebody. Oh, my gosh, Christian. He's kind of small. We missed him. We're saving the best for last, guys, you know. But I just love seeing a Nova presence. And we were telling Drew and Jenny, it's like, let's send Amy and Stephen up and talk to our teens and tell them how awesome JMU is. How awesome UVA is. So anyway, thanks so much. And um, hope you enjoy Brett's lesson. All right. Um, I do send greetings from the Nova Church. Um, uh, you know, the, the Rosenquists are some of our dearest friends. And so to be able to be here with, with Amy's great. And I know they come down and speak. Um, and uh, also the, the Omays, who've been our house church leader for the last couple of years and really discipled us. And of course, they went into the ministry um, after coming out for a period of eight years. And a super inspiring couple to, to make that leap of faith back in. And they're leading our West region right now. But what an amazing family. And, of course, Caitlin knows that the best. Um, but um, let's see. So I want to start with a story just because I like stories. And uh, a story about a, a senior in high school. And, yes, it is me, okay? So I won't even act like it's not. And I had hair down to my shoulders because I was a... Long-haired, hippie, rock and roll guitar player. And, um, you know, I was really psyched about progressive rock. Because I was like, you know, classic rock's good, but I want to be a virtuoso guitar player. Maybe I'll be the greatest guitar player in all of Maryland. That's where I lived at the time. I was actually in Rockville, Maryland. And I have a a, a bond with Kenneth over there who went to the Rockville Church of Christ for a couple years. And that's where I was baptized. But anyway, um, so I was in high school. And I, I met this girl at a play. I was in the play um, Grease. 
because they needed a guitar player in there. So they recruited me. And I was pretty fired up about being the guitar. There's a lot of leads and just cranking. Um, and, but I, I met this girl and started talking to her. And she started talking about God. And I was kind of taken aback. Like, nobody in my school was talking about God at the time. We were all high, you know. This is back in the 80s and lots of marijuana going on. And oh well. Um, but she started, she really captured my attention. And, uh, you know, she never invited me to church because I don't think I look like a church person. But eventually... I asked her, I said, do you think somebody like me could go to your church? Wow. And so I, I showed up on a Wednesday night, and it, by that time it was the summer. And uh, one of the college students from a campus ministry happened to be home. And it was a traditional church, church of Christ, and they're not really as uh, evangelistically aggressive as the International Church of Christ. And so a lot of times they, they don't know what to do when a visitor comes in. But this guy knew exactly what to do. He came up to me and said, hey, you want to study the Bible? And I was like, sure. Okay. So we got together about four days later. Ten days later, I was baptized in some random church in Rockville, Maryland. You know, 100, 108 members, 108 every Sunday for 25 years or something. Um, but God used that. And then I'm like, uh-oh. I'm going up to school, to campus, and I was going off to Boston. I went to MIT, and, and um, I'm like, is there a campus ministry there? Is there some kind of church? And he's like, yeah, well, back then, you know, I had to look it up in the yellow pages. We didn't have the internet. And sure enough, I, I look it up, and, um, you know, the reason I tell you this story is because for the high school students, your, your testimony shocks people. When you stand out and you're willing to speak about God in a way that's foreign to people. It, it just gets, it's like throws them off base. Like I, I had never even considered what that meant to follow God, even though I kind of thought I was a Christian because I wasn't Jewish. You know, logical, right? And I figured if I believed in Jesus, then that was better than not believing because, you know, if you believe, then you're saved. And if you don't believe and it's true, you're hosed. And that wouldn't be good, so I don't want that. And if you don't believe, even if it's not true, well, you don't lose anything. I mean, you know, that was kind of, that's the logic that a lot of people go on. It's, it's, it's very uncommittal. But also for the college students, to just see that those opportunities are there. All the training that you get, your ability to sit down and study the Bible with somebody and help walk them through what it means to come to faith in Jesus is so powerful. And that's what changed my life. Now, I'm a little older now. I was 17 back then. I'm 53. And uh, not quite Caleb's age, but hopefully Caleb's zeal. Uh, But uh, so what I'm going to share about today is that whole idea of standing out. Whether you're in high school or college or an old fogey like me, you know, you got an opportunity to be like Jesus to the world. And so my title is Righteous Means Connected. I'm glad we talked about righteousness during the communion uh, because I'm going to work on a definition for that. So here's my family. That's the Criders right there. Um, How did Logan get so tall? You know, everybody asks that. And, And best family's tall. 
Beth is actually, this is a great picture because I look taller than her. I'm two inches shorter than her. Oh, well. My boys used to make fun of me, but then when they got older, they're like, thank you, Dad, for marrying a taller woman, you know? So Logan is in the ministry at Potomac Valley leading the, the singles. Summit ministry, yes. And just, you know, really awesome. Okay, so, and then Noah is 21. He's up at university. He'll be finishing up this year. Uh, his studies and uh, looking for a place to get a job. So recruit him and, you know, maybe he'll move here. Um, Elena is 17. She'll be 18 next month. And so I'm going to share about a couple of books that I have. And uh, so the book I'm preaching on today is called Aliens and Strangers. And my goal in this was to uh, look at the letters and the life of Peter. So I look in the Gospels and I created these quiet times where you kind of in a whimsical way, enter into the life of Peter during his adventures when he met Jesus. And you kind of find out about his family and his friends and what life was like for him and how that influenced him to what he later wrote in the letters of Peter. It's written as 36 Days of Quiet Times. And you're going to find out today, I don't have the vocabulary of Ed Anton or a Doug Jacoby. And even though I've been appointed teacher, I, I keep it pretty simple. And I, I like to just speak as one of you. You know, I'm not in the ministry. Well, I'm in the ministry of Jesus, as we all are, right? But I'm not full time. I'm not paid by the church at this point. I'm just grateful to be um, in a working position where I can give as much as I can. So I was in Cambodia. And I felt like an alien. And as I was reading this, uh, I, I thought about how Christians blend in too much with everybody around them. And I thought, we've got to wake up. We've got to figure out how can we continue to maintain that distinctiveness. And that's what we talked about in our workshop yesterday was distinction. And trying to remain different than the world, even though we're relatable in some way. And that's a difficult balance, but Jesus did it perfectly, and Peter did a pretty good job himself. The other book I want to share about is my daughter's book. So um, my daughter was adopted uh, from Cambodia. That's why she's so beautiful. Uh, And uh, she uh, grew up just a a bubbly, energetic, incredible basketball player, smart girl, you know, and of course I'm biased. Um, But... uh, about 14 years old, she entered high school and a lot of things hit. You know, she ran into some things with a teacher that were really unfortunate, leading to the teacher being uh, uh, kicked out of the school system and no longer allowed to teach because of the way he treated the kids. And she was a victim of that. And uh, she also, all of the teenage drama. And I'm sure in Charlottesville, teenagers don't go through that. But in Northern Virginia, there's a lot of drama. And uh, so... That was interesting. And then uh, she became a Christian and just a few months after that was diagnosed with lupus. Lupus is an autoimmune disease that attacks where your antibodies attack a certain organ in your body. And for her, it was her kidney. And it was so painful that she was in bed and couldn't do anything uh, really for about six months there until she got diagnosed and got some medicine. Since then, she's still been in bed most days. And her life, it's very painful and it's very lonely because, I mean, adults don't know what to say to a teenager who's chronically ill, but teenagers certainly don't know what to say. And uh, it's taught us a lot. You know, if you, somebody is sick, go visit them. 
I think Jesus said something about that. At least the sheep do that. So you might want to do that yourself. But in her bed, she wrote this book. One day she said to me, Dad, I wrote a book. I'm like, you did what? She goes, yeah, I know you wrote a book, but I wrote a book too. She's a little sassy. And I said, what's it called? She said, Dancing in a Minefield. I was like, you got my attention. You know, she's from Cambodia, talking about minefield. That's pretty serious. Dancing in a minefield. Wow. And uh, when you read her book, you read a very raw, real uh, testimony about what she went through and how she found Jesus. And then she offers uh, her hope to people in similar situations. It's a powerful book. All these books are available for, uh, and I have a third one on the book of Ephesians, very similar to what I did with Aliens and Strangers. Uh, available at $10. If you're a student or in the ministry, I'll give you the $5 discount. Uh, so there you go. Um, amen. All right, we're going to dip into the scriptures here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, maybe before I do that, I'd just like to pray. Uh, God, I need your Holy Spirit right now just to melt my heart. Fill my life and uh, just allow us to connect today. God, you are so uh, gracious to us, so merciful. We want to connect with you today. We want you to be our source of wisdom. We want to eliminate our pride and, and just come before you as your children, knowing that you love us dearly knowing that you care about us so much that you would do anything for us, even give us your very son. Please guide this lesson. In a short time, help us just to hear your voice and draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through, I could just stop there. That's really awesome, isn't it? Jesus went through everything that you're going through and more. Learn to think like him. Amen. This is the message. I love, you know, sometimes I read the message just to get a slightly different paraphrase here. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Oh, thanks, Peter. Calling us out, right? That's our habit. We always want to get our way. We manipulate situations. We feel like we have a right to a happy life. God bless America. (laughs) Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Boy, it sounds a lot like Paul's struggle that we read in Romans chapter 7. The background of Peter's letter is this incredible suffering that they were going through. There was an emperor at that time named Nero who was crazy and people knew it. He was just a whack job. I mean, just crazy guy. And at the time, there was, he set a fire in the slums of Rome that spread and like killed a bunch of people and cleared out this land so he could take over and build his own projects there. But he blamed it on the Christians. And once he blamed it on the Christians, then he was able to bring the Christians into the Colosseum and burn them or uh, have the gladiators kill them or just have some kind of a wild animal rip them to shreds. 
And the Romans love this because just like us, violence sells in movies and entertainment. And people would pay money to go in and and get this thrill out of it. And it's obviously cruel, but there was a a suffering that was going on. And what's interesting is I know some people get skeptical. And it's, I was at MIT where a lot of people pride themselves in knowing a lot. As the Bible says, right, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. Well, I understand that sometimes, you know, as you study a lot, you can get puffed up. And at a, at a brilliant university like James Madison, where you're studying and you're, you thought I was going to say UVA, didn't you? I got gotcha. you. Nah, nah. Andy Yateman went to James Madison University. He told me it's much better than UVA, even though Brian said UVA is better. Brian O'May. Um, but, you know, in, when people are uh, bombarding you with, is, is this stuff real? Is Christianity real? It's very interesting to find uh, Tacitus writing in the first century and to figure out that when he said, therefore, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire... Emperor Nero falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. What does that tell you about uh, the Christians in the first century if you're looking back in history? You think they were real? Did it happen? Is this facts or is this some kind of fiction? Even in the city of Rome, the the church had already spread there and there was... Uh, They were a known group. He even goes on and says, Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate. Any doubts about the crucifixion? Procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, and he kind of goes on and, and talks about it. So you can read history or do what some of us have done and gone over, go over to Israel and see the sites and the facts back up. The Bible. And as a student at, at uh, both Harvard and MIT, I was at Harvard Divinity School for a little bit, um, you get attacked by the world saying, this isn't true. How can you believe the Bible? And it's amazing, these people who attack it, if you just simply go back and read the Bible and offer the facts next to the Bible, they cannot argue with that. Well, they'll try to argue with it, but you can't really refute it. And... Uh, this is something I've worked at. And so I know you guys fight that battle some when you're on the universities and they're, they're against this. Or even when you're in a city like Charlottesville where they, they value their intellect so much. It's very interesting because it's so hard to just accept the Bible. But the background of what they were going through is this vicious persecution. Suffering that's beyond what we know. But I think that everybody in this room can probably relate to trials. And I'm not talking about a court trial. I'm just talking about suffering that you go through. What kind of trials? Well, I know as a young Christian, I went out and studied the Bible with a lot of people. I remember the first year, I must have studied with like 60 different people. Not a single one of them became a Christian. I thought, what's wrong with me? Nobody listens. And then I study with somebody, they get baptized, and they walk away. And I realized that's actually much harder than them never becoming a Christian. It rips your heart out because you actually love this person. You gave your life to him. You try to lay your life down. And that's a trial that we go through that's difficult. And then 
We have our sins, right? You know, for, for guys, usually it's some kind of purity. For, for girls, a lot of times it's insecurity. It's the challenges you face. And you're embarrassed to talk about them. You don't think you want to share them with anybody. And I remember falling into impurity the first time and having to go and confess to somebody. What? That was, and that was embarrassing. Difficult relationships. I remember being, uh, I went into the ministry. I gave up my electrical engineering degree from MIT, went into the ministry, and then I got fired after four years. Like, we don't think it's God's will for you to be in the ministry. I'm like, what if I disagree? No, I didn't actually. I was unemployed for months. This actually happened twice. But anyway, I'm familiar with financial hardship and unemployment. Maybe you've had that difficult relationship, loneliness. We we were in D.C. church and uh, it was planted by Russ Yule and a bunch of leaders and they raised up and it grew and it was going great. And then all of a sudden they all moved to San Francisco. Every single leader moved. Beth and I are looking at each other going, we're so lonely. You know, when people move away, it rips your heart out. And of course, God took care of us and we built relationships, but it was hard. Those were dark times. And I'm sure you felt that. And you've got so many other things here. Uh, I told the story last night with the people about my son, Noah, who was baptized at a young age. And uh, if you ever hear Amy Rosenquist's story, it's very similar. Luckily, they went, bef- they went through it before us. And so the Rosenquist became our mentors during that time. And uh, just one crazy day when uh, Noah just went off on us, as he usually did. And uh, my wife yelled at him, just get out of the house and go away. So he runs out the door. And then I look at her, I'm like... Are you sure that was a good idea? <laughs> He's walking down the street. Amy Rosenquist just happened to be driving through our neighborhood. Not a normal thing for her to do. Picked him up. Our angel. Mm-hmm. And it was part of God's plan in just rescuing him. Yeah. And uh, so he ran away. It was a hard time. That If you've been through that, our daughter with the chronic illness. These are trials. I don't know what yours are. We've all got them, though. Right. So we can relate when we're reading First Peter. But there are a lot of benefits to suffering. At the time, you're like, I would not want this, wish this on anybody. But it shakes you up so you see your need for God, right? It's like things are going along well. You don't actually need God. You don't say that. Of course, you don't. Oh, God, I don't need you. But it's true. We, we feel that way. It teaches you that you don't always get your way. <laughs> How about what he said earlier, right? He's like, um, get rid of that habit of uh, always thinking you're going to get your way. And God's like, "Mm, my ways are not your ways, and actually they're better. But do you believe that? Are you willing to say, not my way, but your way, God? That's a prayer that we must embrace. It causes you to reevaluate. You know what it does? It kind of disconnects you from all of your, you know, accustomed ways, the the comfort zone that you're used to and it frees you to pursue what God wants because he strips away something you're like I really needed that relationship why did they move away you needed to grow in something in your character and I know there's a bitterness we struggle with in those times I know it hurts when you're suffering and I'm not making light of that you know our daughter's illness it's no joke but I'll tell you what there are a lot of benefits that have come out of it that have, I look at her heart when I read this book and I think God had a plan 
to use her in a much more powerful way than I'd ever thought. And my relationship with her, my wife's relationship with her, Amy's mom's relationship with her, so much deeper and her ability then to connect with other teens and college students now that she's getting older is fantastic. So two points real quickly. Connection with God is everything. That's where we're going to start. Let's read what he says. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. He really goes into the raunchy sins, doesn't he? (laughs) You may say, oh, not recently. Um, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Getting mocked for your lifestyle. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The end of all things is near. Now, he wrote this 2,000 years ago, and you may wonder, you know, how's that? But compared to eternity, it's still close. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. You know, things were going crazy around them. They were under all kinds of pressure. They were being dragged into the Colosseum or persecuted in different ways. And he said, be alert and sober mind so you can pray. Because the only thing that really mattered was whether they were connected with God. I painted this picture yesterday, but it's one of my favorite pictures of Peter. Because here's Peter, and Jesus dies, and that was really hard. Jesus was his best friend. Jesus goes away, and they got the Holy Spirit, and maybe that was better. I know Jesus said it was better and all, but I think that Peter missed Jesus. And as Peter was writing these letters... He was on his deathbed. He's late in his life. But he's thinking, I'm about to go home and see my best friend. For him, heaven was this huge hug of his best friend. Because all that mattered to him was his connection with his brother, Jesus. Connection with God is everything. Let's talk about this word righteous for a while. Because I really believe that most of us misunderstand the word. We think righteous has something to do with doing the right thing. And it actually has nothing to do with doing the right thing. And I'll explain to you why. Righteousness is actually about right relationship. That's the definition of righteousness. How do I know that? Think about righteousness. It's not doing what's right because there are self-righteous people who do what's right. The Pharisees actually were doing what was right, but they weren't connected with God. Jesus didn't rebuke them and say, you're doing the wrong things. He said, you're not connected with God. So self-righteousness is not righteousness. Righteousness means you're in a right relationship with God. Let's look at some verses that use the word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, I just really hunger and thirst to always do the right thing. I want to be a goody two-shoes. No, people don't hunger for that. People are lonely and they hunger for relationship. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness is hungering and thirsting for a relationship with God. Having an awareness of your need for God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That doesn't mean go out and try to do all the good things. And earn your way to heaven through some work salvation. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. A connection with the creator. 
Seek that. You'll do a lot of the right things by doing that. Because you will want to please God. But you're not seeking in this way that's I just want to be a better person or self, you know, some kind of self-improvement program. The righteous will live by faith. A person who always does what's right doesn't need any faith in a sense. It's the person who falls down and has to get back up that needs faith. It's easy if everything's going right for you. Faith comes when you fail. Faith comes when it's hard. Faith comes when you're suffering. The righteous, the connected person. If you're connected to God, even if it's just a little string, a you know, spider web of faith, a mustard seed, as Jesus would say, that connection is enough to make it grow. That's righteousness. And that's everything. You know, in, in this world, we would relate it to no internet connection. You're like, oh no, what can I do? It's the end of the world. Because Jesus defined eternal life as they would know you. They would have a connection with God. Eternal life is a relationship. It's a connection. And sometimes we just ask the wrong questions. Like that guy who comes up to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? He's like, um, no one's good but God alone. You're not, he had all these righteous deeds that he lined up. He's like, you, you sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and start following me. Get connected with me. And see how that goes. You know, you ever feel a little judgmental? Some, somebody else in the church, you're like, I, I don't even know if they're a Christian. I said that, well, my wife probably said that when we got married. You get in a fight or something, right? You're like, we need some discipling. Well, Jesus was accused of all kinds of things, of being a glutton and a drunkard. He's out there doing things because, you know, all he really cared about was not what he looked like to the rest of the world, but that he was connected. And it's funny, in a marriage, you're going to fight some. Why? Because you have to work through. You have to be honest. I remember the, the first couple months of our marriage, we didn't fight at all. We just faked like we were getting along. And, and it was mostly me. She can't do it. She doesn't fake. I fake pretty well. And I was like, whatever, I was a peacemaker and all that. And, and somebody rebuked us and said, you've had no conflict in three months? He said, I don't think you're being honest with each other. So then we had a lot of conflict for the next three months that rebuked us for quarreling. I'm like, come on. But you got to be real. You got to work things out if you're going to be connected. Are you guilty? You know, confession's a very interesting thing. Confession doesn't forgive sins. I've seen people confess their sins, confess their sins, oh, repent, confess their sins, confess their sins, do it over and over again. Didn't do them any good because they weren't really seeking reconciliation. They weren't repenting and repenting really is getting connected back with God. And then it's also with people. You, you, if you go and confess, oh, you know, you sinned against me, you really hurt me. I think we need to just seek a connection with them. And so when we come, we say, it hurt when you said this, and I really want to be connected with you. That changes the tone. It changes the heart. Do everything in love is the scripture I love. So when it comes to the greatest commandments, we know that loving God and loving your neighbor is all about connection. It's right relationship. And that's really what righteousness is. All right, close out with a simple point here. Connection to people is everything else. 
On the, on the right there is Charlie and Mick Young Yi and a couple of their girls. Uh, we didn't have all our kids in the picture. Then Gary and uh, Karen Jacques. He looks like one of the kids. He looks so young. Um, but, um, you know, these are some of our best friends. And if I think about what matters in, in life, my connection with God and then my connection with people. That's everything else. That's, that's what fills up my life. And, you know, Charlie and Mick Young are our best friends. We, we've cried together. We've buried our parents together. We've uh, just walked through the valley of the shadow of death together. And I have no doubt they have my back. They have everything. They have my best interest in every situation. And after you've cried together and prayed together and um, you know, helped each other financially when you need it. Help each other spiritually when you need it. There is a depth. That's what life's all about. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you know, from the story of my, my son, when he ran away into the world, the thing that turned him, he went on a youth corps. And while everything he said about camp, I, I totally believe camp was a lifesaver for our kids. Youth corps is another one. Um, he was on a youth corps, and he was a complete rebel. He was actually trying to pick up the girls. He told me this, and we knew it going in. And we told the leader, he said, he's like, ah, bring him on. We'll deal with him. When, when he called and apologized and repented, the thing that he said moved his heart was that he was with some guys finally who he felt like he could relate to. And he said, I don't want the world. Even in the world, this is what I was really looking for, is just connection with people. And I believe that connection is everything. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let me give you some practicals, Peter says. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He just breaks out into praise. How do we connect with each other? I'm going to challenge you to be aggressive. And this is really hard for guys. I mean, women, I don't know how it is. It's like something in your genes. Like, you like to connect. Guys, we isolate ourselves. It takes an act of God for us to make a phone call to each other. I don't know what it is. And there are a few out there. Like Jack Rosenquist, he calls me all the time. And I'm so grateful. And I'm like, Jack, I know I don't initiate enough. But please don't stop. (laughs) Because I need it. And I love those people in my life. But you know, I I turn around and try to do that with with other friends that are less, even less inclined to initiate. But it's, it's that offering hospitality. It's reaching out. Come on over. Let's spend time together. I know relationships for guys, you kind of have to schedule it. You have to say, we're going to get together. I know every Tuesday night, we're either getting with the Templars or we're getting with Chris and Jen Solie. And that's our Tuesday night. Every Friday night, we get with the Yees. And that's our discipling time. And, and it, by enabling that relationship to happen, a lot of times it's boring. Okay, not boring, but it's not as exciting. There's not a whole lot going on. We get together, we kind of fill each other in. Other times, we're going through it. And because it's already scheduled, it doesn't take an act of God to get us together. And we make it happen, 
And then we can cry together on the times we need it. But it's, it's just got to be our conviction to set times together, to be aggressive about offering hospitality. Articulate, you know, without grumbling. Our words really do matter. And I know there's times where we vent, and that's good, and, and all that. But think about how much you can speak life to people. I like Toby Mac's song, Speak Life. Speak life. You know, when you say words that you, you just tell people how awesome they are. I remember Edison preaching. at his, uh, He was a senior in high school. He got up there. I thought, this man is a future evangelist. He was awesome. Now, you think Edison's feeling encouraged right now? I spoke the truth. I spoke life to him. We've got to do that with one another. That's articulating and being active. The greatest gift in the world that God has ever given besides Jesus is in this room. It's you. It's Karen. This intern right here. You know, it's Christian. I mean, he's a big gift. It's Jesse. It's the other Jesse, the Aaron and the other Aaron. That was so easy. I love when people have the same name. I can just guess. Your gifts. I mean, I see Aaron over here doing the sound. I know because I used to have to do all the sound and stuff. This is not an easy job. You only get barked at when something goes wrong, right? You hardly ever get encouraged. There were no problems. Nobody comes up and goes, wow. Problem. They're like, what's the problem? But here's Aaron taking that on and making it. And so far, no problems. Amen. But I'm a little worried about your bulb and your uh, thing. It kept flashing. Um, anyway. No. <laughs> Let's close out with one more warning. In the same way you are, are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you think that you can get along without being connected? Do you actually think that? You know, I know we would never say that because like 1 Corinthians 12, we never go around saying, I don't need you and I don't need you. I don't need Stephen Wetzel. I don't need him. We don't go around saying that. But by our lives, we can do that. And here's what happens. You know, the, the pride leads to isolation. And when we're by ourselves, Satan throws all kinds of thoughts in there. Oh, you can't tell anybody about that sin. You can't tell anybody about that temptation. You can't tell anybody. You're saying by doing that, I don't need you. And really, we do need each other. Isolation causes anxiety. But God wants us to be connected. Isolation causes us to be unaware and susceptible to attack. And really, all of this is to say, connection is everything. Peter had a connection with Silas. We talked about that yesterday. And Mark, he called him my son. The, the Bible's full of these examples of connection. And I don't have time to talk about it. But, so that really is the lesson. The power of being connected. When we're connected to God, that is everything. And when we're connected to, to each other, that's everything else. I want to thank you for joining with me and looking at this uh, study today on being aliens and strangers in this world, about talking about our connection. Uh, if you're interested in getting the books, get them quickly. There's an envelope out there. You can buy them there. I have some here if you want to buy them. 
$10, $5 for the uh, campus and, and ministry. I understand that we have one song and then we're, we're going to be dismissed. Amen. Amen.